This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. I'm Trevor, and as per usual, I am here this morning with my good friend Paul. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Trevor. It's good to talk to you this morning. Uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. We're ready to talk about a new season of, of reading, a new season of life, a new a new season of the year. Yeah, <laughs> One of the absolutely. best, I think. What are your thoughts on fall? Is it what is it is it number one for you or is it you know where does it land in your top yeah. four seasons <laughs> definitely number one for me it always has been i i'm a big fan of both fall and spring i think i like the transitional times um you know i like every season for its own reasons mm-hmm. but some of the extremes you know in, in winter and summer get a little old so i, I kind of like yeah. fall and spring but yeah fall specifically i really like it i um you know my birthday's in the fall i like the cooler weather <laughs> Um, I've always been a fan of, you know, American football, you know, which kicks off in the fall. So to me, it's always this, you know, it's just this nice time that kind of things start to slow down a little bit. And yeah. So always yeah. been a favorite. How about you? Oh, yeah. It's it's totally one of my all time uh, favorite seasons. It always has been for me, too. Did you ever see that meme a few years ago where it's Humpty Dumpty had a great fall? <laughs> and it shows him like walking in the park with leaves falling and sitting by the fire with a book. <laughs> I, I do remember that one. Yep, that's exactly it. <laughs> it just hits it perfectly. I, I love I love this time of year. I lo- I'm I'm with you. I like the transitional seasons best, and it, try to enjoy the rest of them for what they are, for right. sure. But there's just something about this change and kind of buckling down, snuggling up in the covers and pulling out a good book or watching a movie or even just sitting outside with a blanket uh, and and enjoying the earlier evenings as we get to to the the lull of the you know of the daytime we are going to be talking about fall books and autumn reads and whatever else we can think of to call that but first what have you been reading paul yeah, so I'm actually going to talk about several of the books that I've been reading today. I, I did a little uh, homework this time around, and so that's been taking up some of my time in a good way. So I'll talk about that more, but in the meantime, I'm also currently listening to a book called The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Paul Tremblay at all. Uh, I've never read read him, but I know the. I've seen people talk about that book. Yeah, that's as, as good as I can do on this one. I'm afraid. No, 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 no problem. I didn't know that much about him, but he's one of those. You know, when I kind of pay attention to the horror universe, his name seems to come up pretty often, along with mm-hmm. maybe Stephen Graham Jones and a few others that are kind of the the modern, you know, the new hot names in in horror or whatever. So a couple years ago, I read another one of his books called A Head Full of Ghosts, which, first mm-hmm. of all, I love that title. And I thought it was pretty good. You know, I didn't love it, but I, I wanted to give another one a try. So anyway, I, I've just started this one. Not very far into it yet, but, you know, I'll just give a, a quick synopsis of how it starts. So it starts with this couple, Andrew and Eric. They're taking a vacation with their adopted daughter. Her name is Wen. Um, and so they're in this isolated cabin up in the New Hampshire woods. And they just kind of, that's how it starts out. So Wen is outside, you know, just kind of goofing off, catching grasshoppers. And she's taking it all very seriously, recording data about them, you know, which ones are one inch long, two inches long, which ones have energy, all that kind of stuff that a kid does. And her dad, meanwhile, are kind of inside the cabin. And suddenly she hears this person walking up and there's this large stranger, this large man that comes up and starts talking to her. And so, you know, obviously as a reader, you're, you're kind of creeped out and she's a little creeped out, but he slowly starts to win her over. He seems like he's really interested in her grasshoppers and he's taking her very seriously. And 
So the longer he sticks around, though, she starts to feel a little uneasy. And then all of a sudden you hear, she hears these other people coming down the road and the stranger starts acting kind of weird and apologizing and saying, she's done nothing wrong. They're, they're just here to save the world. And he starts saying all these very strange things. And around the corner come these three other people that are dressed just like him, except these ones are wearing or are carrying these long like scythe like objects with all these nails sticking out of them and all this creepy stuff. That's about as far as I've gotten, but it's enough to <laughs> creep me out. It, it does have, I guess, if we're going with the autumnal, um, the creepy Halloween vibe, it definitely has that. So yeah, I'll report back on it. But so far, it's definitely hooked me. Nice. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun. That I, It's been a while since I've uh, read a proper horror novel. Yeah. W- I know. You, me too. Would you maybe, even though you haven't finished it so far, would you say, hey, give this one a shot? So far, I would, yeah. I Based on this, the little bit I've read of this one and the other one that I read, like he's a good writer. I don't think he is spectacular, but it's one of those where he has really cool, creepy ideas, um, you know, enough to kind of carry you through. So I would say, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Cool. Yeah, well, how about you? What have you been reading? So I, I've been reading another one of the books on my list of betterment, uh, Carol Shields' The Stone Diaries which won the Pulitzer, you know, won all kinds of awards. She's a Canadian-American author. She died, uh, you know, a decade or so ago. But uh, at the time, uh, in the 90s, you know, I remember seeing this book all over the place. So I've always felt like I should read it, but I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything really about Carol Shields, other than, you know, I should know more. <laughs> That's about as far as I'd ever gone. And boy, this is, this is quite the book. Like I say, I, I picked it up knowing absolutely nothing. And what, what I found was this really nice kind of, oh, let's see, it's, it's about 360 pages novel about a woman uh, and her whole life from her birth all the way to her death. I haven't finished it yet, but I, I know where it's going. <laughs> you right. know, it's, it's the last chapter is titled Death. So <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'll find there, but that's that's where we're going. But it it's kind of interesting because it's told from so many varying points of view and different episodes in this woman's life. There are parts where, you know, it starts with a big family tree and we learn about her birth and we then, you know, there are family pictures in a place in the book. There's a section where she's kind of in a deep funk of depression and, it has subtitles of, you know, this is Alice's theory as to why, you know, this person is, Daisy is is going through this funk. This is her friend's idea. This is, you know, so-and-so's idea. So you're really kind of learning about this life from multiple perspectives, multiple people, and and also from her herself. She'll jump into the narrative every once in a while and say something, even though most of the time it's third person, you know, told that way. And I thought I'd read a little part from, not the end, but she's older now. Um, she's uh, a widow and her kids have grown up and it says I have said that Mrs. Flett recovered from the nervous torment she suffered some years ago and yet a kind of rancor underlies her existence still the recognition that she belongs to no one even her dreams release potent fumes of absence she has her three grown children it's true but she wonders if these three will look back on her with anything other than tender forbearance and her eight grandchildren are so far away, so diminished by age and distance, so consecrated to the blur of the future, 
Perhaps that's why she is forever ruminating about her past life, those two lost fathers of her, and hurling herself at the emptiness she was handed at birth. In the void she finds connection, and in the connection, another void. A pattern of infinite regress, which is heartbreaking to think of, and yet it pushes her forward. It keeps her alive. Wow. It's it's a really good book. I'm really enjoying it. It's not one that I'm always like, oh, I need to read the next chapter. I got to find out what's happening. You know, I've been taking it slow, reading maybe 20, 30 pages a day and putting it down. And I feel like that's enough. It's maybe not what I'm absolutely in the mood for is, a, is probably some of that. But I think it's a really good book. I'm glad that it was part of my project because I've had it for probably 20 years on my shelf and I'm finally finally reading it <laughs> great yeah that sounds really good I've kind of vaguely heard of her and, and I've definitely heard of the book but I didn't know much about it the little passage you just read in that description makes me really interested in it though it's pretty chuck full of things like that uh, clearly Carol Shields is a fantastic writer very insightful I mean it, it is brimming with little insightful things like that it's not necessarily like a one of those plots that keeps you moving. It is those little insights about a life. So Yeah. No, I mean, I you know, what you just read kind of and, and looking back on life and memory and all those different things is definitely something that appeals to me. And a couple of the books that I'm going to talk about later today tie in nicely to that whole idea. So it's definitely something that does appeal to me. Well, I am excited to see what books you, you keep hinting at, Paul. I know. But... Trying to leave some spoilers, <laughs> get you excited. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling. But we've got a little bit of something to do, so we'll be back in just a minute with our fall reads. But first, a little bit of a break. So, Paul, I think it's time for us to do a little giveaway. Uh, we've we've been recording these podcast episodes since April, and finally we're recording one that'll go up fairly soon after the time we're recording it. This is Labor Day weekend, September 4th. It'll go up here in a few weeks, but it'll be close in time. Uh, and we've been able to see listener feedback. We've been able to uh, engage a little bit more with people who have, who have found us. And we have a little bit of a giveaway here. Our podcast debuted about a month ago at this point, and around that time, Sean the Book Maniac on YouTube invited you to come onto his YouTube channel to discuss a book, to discuss a little snippet. And Sean's uh, YouTube channel is is great to watch. He's enthusiastic, very insightful, very uh, good, good personality, warm and inviting. And I just wanted to give you a chance to just remind viewers of the book that you talked about in case they haven't seen it. And also to that'll introduce the book we're going to give away today. Yeah. So the book that he invited me on to discuss was Everything Like Before, which is a series of stories by Shel Askildson. Um, so yeah, there it's an archipelago book. Absolutely gorgeous. I think you and I might have touched on it a little mm -hmm. bit because I know you read it not long ago as well. And mm -hmm. yeah, they're wonderful stories. I had never heard of them until I saw it in Archipelago's, I think it was their fall catalog last year, or maybe their winter catalog. And just reading the description right away got me hook, line, and sinker. So yeah, it's great stuff. 
Yeah, I think in our first episode, I may have been reading that book and recommended it. And in an upcoming episode, you will be reading that book and recommending it. That's (laughs) right. We recorded it about a month and a half ago when you were in the middle of of the book. And that episode will come out after this one. So listeners, you'll have something to look forward to when Paul does talk about it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But yes, that is the book. It's an archipelago book. And so it's just beautifully produced, and I have a copy that I want to give away to you. But I think we need to make it a little bit more fun than just, hey, write us and we'll we'll draw a name. So there's a podcast that I've always loved called Film Spotting. I don't know if you know it, Paul. It's a, it's a pretty good film podcast. Yeah, I don't know that one, but I need to check it out. I think you'd like it. I think you'd like it a lot. Uh, I've listened to it for many years, and they do a segment called Massacre Theater, where they act out a scene, you know, from a movie, each of them taking a character, and they try to do it in voices or in the drama or in the moment. But, you know, they, they acknowledge they're, they're doing it on the spot. They're not great actors. They're not training. They're not practicing. And so they usually come off to very comic effect. Right. <laughs> but at the end of it, that's the trivia question for their giveaway. You know, if you can, if you can write in and name the movie... They will draw a list, draw from a list of the correct names, the correct entries, uh, the winner for that week. And that's how I'm going to do this one. But, so you're going to make us act out some brooding Norwegian short stories? Is that right? right. <laughs> well, that, that, would be a, that would be too easy, I'm afraid, you know, for, <laughs> right. for our listener. <laughs> no, I, I don't think we'll do it quite that way. We may do something fun like that. We're going to keep this kind of open. But for this week, I have kind of a, what is this book uh, trivia? Uh, and so I thought I would go back in time and look at a bunch of book blurbs and choose one. I won't reveal, you know, in the in the thing, I'm going to substitute some words because otherwise it would give it away. Uh, like, you know, when it says the name of the author, I'm just going to say the author. But I'm going to read the blurb as is. And listeners, if you know the book, then please send in your answer. And also where you're where you're from. I like it might be fun to put a state or a country or something like that. You don't have to be too precise. We're not gonna, you know, uh, announce your address or anything like that. But just a little bit of where you're from, and put in your guess. And all of the correct entries will go into a little pot, and we'll draw from that here in a few weeks. So I plan on drawing for that on Saturday, October second, a few weeks after this episode comes out on Thursday, September twenty third. And then we'll announce in our October 7th show who the winner is. But if you can send that email to mooksandgripes at gmail.com, you can see that email in the show notes, but it's mooks, M-O-O-K-S-E, and gripes at gmail.com. All right, here's the book blurb. <clears throat> i got to prepare. I kind of feel like I'm performing a little bit. I want to hear it. <laughs> in this book, there's one of the places where I've, uh, you know, put in my own little mm-hmm. little cool clever in this book this <laughs> author imagines that shakespeare had a sister a sister equal to shakespeare in talent and equal in genius but whose legacy is radically different this imaginary woman never writes a word and dies by her own hand her genius unexpressed if only she had found the means to create argues this author she would have reached the same heights as her immortal sibling so there we go. Interesting. It's probably one of those where if you know it, you know it. And if you don't, there you know, probably would be hard to guess. Right. But I, I think it might be kind of easy to Paul, do you have a 
do you, do you know, I won't ask you to guess because that would maybe if you get it right, that right. would spoil. And if you get it wrong, that would spoil. So yeah. do you do you have a feeling? I have a vague feeling, but to be honest, I'm glad I already have a copy of this book because I don't think that I would necessarily be in the pot. I have a guess, <laughs> but I, I don't think it's probably right. So I'll be very curious to hear the answer to this one. Oh, excellent. Listeners, we will announce the winner on our October 7th show but we'll need to draw on Saturday, October 2nd. So if you get it into us by October 1st, uh, I will put your name in the hat and we'll, we'll draw. I hope plenty of you have a chance to join, seek out what this book is. If you, if you find out what it is and haven't read it, I recommend it. Good luck, everybody. So today we are talking about autumn reeds. Maybe that's a lofty term, but I like the word autumn. I like thinking of autumn reeds, but books that take us to the fall or that we want to read in the fall. As per usual, Paul, we did not talk to each other about what that means to us, Mm -hmm. because part of the fun of these, I think, has been talking about the topic itself. Yeah. What is an autumn read for you? What do you what do you like about the autumn and reading in the autumn? You know, what what does all that mean for you? So, yeah. Give, give me some of your thoughts. Sure, yeah. For me, I was trying to think of that cuz I was trying to decide whether I wanted to go real literal, whether mm-hmm. I wanted to go more vague and I kind of did a little of both. So, for me, it's kind of just an undefined feeling. I think kind of what we were talking about earlier, it's the seasons are changing. It has a little bit of like a, a melancholy feeling, but mm-hmm. often in a good way. You know, it's the it's the longer evenings that you talked about. So I'm drawn more towards maybe classics or longer books. But often, too, there's just certain books that I read. And I'll talk about this in a minute. It's not always even accurate. But just when I think back to books that I've read, they just give me that autumnal feeling. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's due to the setting or to other factors and that's part of why I wanted to go back and read a few of these books. I've, a couple of my books today are rereads that I just did this month, and I wanted to see how accurate my memories were. And that's, so I'll talk about that a little bit. It's, it was interesting cool. to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, to me, it's kind of all of that and probably a bunch of, bunch of other things. I don't think it's a, a hard category for me. How about you? Well, one thing I will say, I know because I just edited the episode, but in one of our future episodes, you will say that one of your favorite fall reads is Susanna Clark's mm-hmm. um, Jonathan John- Strange and Mr. Norell. Yep. Because you got it on your birthday. In exactly. The fall. <laughs> no, that's that exactly right. <laughs> so no. it's funny how those things, uh, you know, maybe it's the time of year you read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it has nothing to do with the fall, uh, it just, just strikes you. I had the same thing, you know, I kind of thought, what am I looking for here? Am I looking for something that's cozy and warm, you know, and, and heartwarming, which sometimes I am when I'm looking for something to watch on television in the fall. It's kind of fun to, to see all of that. Am I looking for a specific fall setting? Does it have to take place in, you know, New England, for example, mm-hmm. <laughs> or how does that go? Maybe a school novel, you know, the beginning of the academic year definitely um, applies. And that also reminded me of how many of these books do I think of? Because 
I would start a new year in college or in high school or something. And here come all of these new books, you know, Jane Eyre's. I read it in the fall once I was on campus and the leaves were falling when I first read that book. I remember it really, really well. Or is it something spooky and and more Octobery? And uh, I I don't know. And so it's also the time of year when a lot of publishers will publish some of the books they think will be their most uh, acclaimed um, and potential prize winners because it's kind of prize prize season, mm-hmm. kind of like Oscar season. You know, it's not to say that that's exclusive. A lot of times prize winners come out at different times of the year or, you know, the books they release at the end of the year don't necessarily all, all line up that way. But I think a lot of times they save those books for the fall. I think more people go to the bookstore, not for their beach reads, but for their fall reads. Yeah. And so we've got a new book by Anthony Doerr coming out which honestly I'm not enjoying. I'm reading Mm. it and uh, I'm sorry. I I hope it turns around, but we got a new Colson Whitehead Mm -hmm. that I am enjoying. And then I've pre-ordered and it should be arriving. Is it this week or maybe the next Tuesday, the new Lauren Groff novel. I can't wait. Yeah. There's the new Sally Rooney that we're seeing everywhere that I look, (laughs) I know, (laughs) including the new Anthony door. I see cloud cuckoo land all over the place Mm -hmm. now. I, I feel like, but, but it's things like that, you know, that, that are popping up and, if Philip Roth were still alive and writing, his books always seem to come out in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get you get these these great things, and then in November you get some of the big like, oh, what are you going to get for Christmas for for everybody? Yeah. So so clearly we could go all over the place. Oh, absolutely. With this. And I had to just say, what do I want to read in the fall? What am mm-hmm. I looking forward to this year? What would I recommend to somebody who wants to sit down in the orange and red light? And just read a book, and as as the light dies outside, maybe by a fireplace. So I'm I'm excited to see. But we did we did get some uh, uh, listener suggestions. I I wrote on Twitter and on Instagram, just seeking a few of those. And here are a few. Bob from the Bob Sphere, which you can find on on YouTube as well, or on Instagram, uh, or on the our Goodreads page, the Mooks and the Gripes Goodreads. Bob uh, posts there a lot. He thought of Stoner. John Williams Stoner. Mm. Did that come up for you at all in your thinking of fall reads? Absolutely. Like Mm -hmm. you said, it has that academic bent to it. And there's also, you know, that whole um, kind of the quietness that we've talked about with that novel before that definitely made me feel some of those autumnal feelings. So that's a, that's a great Mm -hmm. recommendation. I love that. Yeah. And then our good old friend, uh, Colleen Bourne, Mm -hmm. uh, that you can also find on, on Twitter. She recommended Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte, of course. That's and that's that one I, I kept thinking, do I put it on my list? Do I not put it on my list? Do I put it on and then she wrote it and I was like, okay, I don't have to put it on my list. Yeah. Even though that's a great fall read story. Yeah. And, and I read that one. one. Speaking of academic school books, I remember that one sitting at the sh- on the shelf of our uh, college bookstore and mm-hmm. seeing that it was assigned to me and picking it up and I was yeah, I read it in fall. So that definitely <laughs> applies. I read it in a uh, honestly on a stormy I started on a stormy night yeah, at the Moors, I was in, in England. Oh, it was wow. May of two thousand one, and we had just gone to to visit the Bronte Parsonage, and I bought it there. I had read it before, and I started it that night when it was dark and kind of stormy. Ooh. I was like, "This is the perfect day to do it." But that was May, so for me, that was a spring, stormy mm. spring book in a way. Mm. Um, but she also recommended a book that I don't know anything about uh, to them or to serve them all my days. By oh, there you go. By uh, who, is it R E R F? 
R F yeah. Delderfield. I knew yeah. the last name Delderfield. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know that one. But you responded on Twitter and said, "Oh, you've been meaning to read that." So what am I missing out on? Well, I mean, that was one again. Like you said, she's been a friend of ours for for years, and we've talked a couple times about Palimpsest, the old book forum that we used mm-hmm. to be on. And her and Al Kitching both talked about this book back then, and it's always appealed to me. So I'll just read quickly the the back cover. It says, "To serve them all my days is the wonderful and moving saga of a young man." bitterly hardened by the violence of World War I's Western Front, who returns home to become master of a remote English school, who will, in the passing years, influence the destiny of many young men and finally come to terms with his own. So I think it's one where, um, you know, in in England specifically on the BBC, I think they've done some, Mm -hmm. um, I assume they're probably, it's like a series and and different things. So I know that over there, at least people of a certain age, it's definitely a, a, a nostalgic book and maybe mm-hmm. kind of like how we've talked about Lonesome Dove where there's those mini series that that are done really well. So I don't know a ton about it, but I just know that a couple of people that I trust have raved about it for 10 or 15 years. So there's got to be something to it. Well, I got to admit when I read the back of the, you know, I read the blurb, I thought, that's interesting. What does this have to do with the fall or autumn? And then I read the Kirkus Review from 1972 and it starts a pleasant autumnal comforter for Delderfield's following, which, if unrolled by the yard day after day, will serve to the first snowflake. And I thought, well, okay, wow. there we go. That's a that's a good blurb. Clearly, this is an autumn book, if, yeah. if, uh, if that's how that is written out. But anyway, she also put out their uh, Useful Idiots by Jan Mark, which is also a book I don't know anything about, but we'll, we'll be looking into. Yeah. So thanks for those suggestions. Um, listeners, we'd love to hear more. I don't know if we'll always be able to put them all out there. Thank you so much to those who responded, and we'll keep asking questions like that to get your insights too. But Paul, here we come. Here's our part. And we're going to do a few things. We, we both have books we, get, we, we think of when we think of fall or you know our fall reads, and then we're both going to talk about a few that we want to read this fall, perhaps, that we don't maybe know a lot about but have that promise of a fall read. And then we'll talk a little bit about short stories and poems just briefly toward the end, and, and that'll be our episode today. But let's go ahead and get started, Paul. What's uh, what's one of your three okay. fall books? So the first one that I picked up is very on the nose. It's called The Nature of Autumn, and it's by Jim Crumley. So this is one that I picked up a few years ago, kind of based on, honestly, the combination of just the great title. I love the title. And also the fact that Uh, Jim Crumley is somebody who's kind of referred to as one of Scotland's top nature writers. And so, you know, referring back to our nature episode, obviously that's been part of the uh, bookstore and part of the, you know, different websites that I kind of nose around in. And so I'd seen his name come up. He's done a series of these. He did one for every season. So the nature of winter, the nature Hmm. of spring, Um, as we said, autumn's my favorite. So that's what I went for. And so, yeah, I decided to pick it up and, and I hadn't read it. And so, like I said, I did a little bit of homework for this, uh, episode and decided, hey, what? no time like the present, right? So <laughs> so yeah, let me just quickly uh, read the, the back cover a little bit. Um, it says, in autumn, nature stages some of its most enchantingly beautiful displays, yet it's also a period of free reflection, melancholy even, as the days shorten and winter's chill approaches. Charting the colorful progression from September through October and November, Jim Crumley tells the story of how unfolding autumn affects the wildlife and landscapes of his beloved con- countryside. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty succinct and, and accurate description. It's pretty straightforward. Um, as they said, it's divided into three sections. So 
September, October, and November. And then within each of those sections, there's maybe five or six chapters with titles like Autumn Leaves, Swan Songs, Autumn into Winter. So they're just these little episodes that are often involving him just walking through the woods and encountering different plants or animals or things like that. So pretty straightforward um, nature writing, but it's good stuff. I'll just read a couple of really quick excerpts just to give people an idea. This one comes from the middle. It's the chapter is Daylight on the Dream. It says, The sunlight in the afternoon that first day of October had a quality. Wherever it shone directly onto the trunks of the trees, wherever it negotiated its way through the slowly thinning canopies of hundreds of oaks in their sporadic underlings, the rowans and the hollies, that I could see without turning my head, wherever it lit a long and ragged edged strip of forest floor or a grassy clearing a dozen yards wide, wherever it fell on the darkest bark and blackest roots, it struck notes of bright white in them all, notes so vitally defined that I felt I might hear them. So, you know, it's just these nice little snippets like that that are just very, you know, like I said, it's straightforward, but it's all about autumn. There's no, you know, it just gets you into that feeling of sitting in a forest and watching the light change. And really nice. Um, just one more quick one. It says, it, this is skipping ahead to a different chapter. At various times, I've been called a wildlife expert, a nature expert, a naturalist, an ecologist, a conservationist, and disciple of biodiversity. I am none of these. I don't even know what the last one means, and I also don't believe that it's possible to be an expert in wildlife, let alone all nature, such as the limitless scope of the subject. Nature is simply my preferred field, and when I go to work in its field, I go to write. And it has been my experience, and it still is, that if you go often enough, and in an open frame of mind, and if you take the trouble to win a degree of intimacy with your subject, whenever that allows, then there will be moments when you see something other in the familiar. All you have to do then is find a way to write it down. An oak leaf fell onto the open page of my notebook. It was green and yellow and brown. And when I held it up to the light, I could see many small holes and each one was haloed in sunlight. I put it back down on the page where it had landed and photographed it. I decided it looked a bit like a satellite image of Lewis and Harris, complete with their characteristic freckling of Doblacans. I don't know if I said that right. I'm not very good at Scottish. Um, my habit of writing out in the woods or in the hills or by locks and rivers and waterfalls and the edges of bogs is fundamental to my ambition of effectively becoming nature so that, however briefly, nature treats me as part of the landscape. When I'm sitting writing, I'm still and silent. And over the years, all manner of things have landed on or chosen to explore the notebook in my lap. <laughs> so... I don't know. I just really like that. It, it has that autumnal feel, but it's also just immersing yourself in nature and just seeing what happens, you know? So it's a nice book. I really liked it. Um, I don't know that it will necessarily join that pantheon of, of my all time favorite nature books that we've talked about, but I would highly recommend it. It's just a nice, quiet autumn read. Did it do its job for you? I mean, we're recording this in the beginning of September. So I'm presuming you read some of that, at least in August. Yeah. When I it's did. hot still, did it, did it, did it give you a little bit of a promise of a chill? It did. Absolutely. It was perfect because later on when it gets into November, it starts to get, you know, especially in Scotland, stormier. He starts to go to the beaches where seals are playing in these big waves. And yeah, so it did. It, it kind of got me ready for that transition nice. for sure. All right. Well, I'm going to, uh, I tried, Paul, I tried to, to vary up my list and, and not just do what I think are going to be things that people are like, oh, well, duh, or <laughs> that's an easy thing. I tried. 
But I love these books so much. And that honestly, I guess I'm just in a little bit of a macabre feel this year. Maybe not every year, but I went pretty much down the line spooky or at least nice. unsettling. So we'll see. We'll see how, how people respond to this. But the first one that I chose is mm. Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle. And this is how this story begins. It's about two siblings, uh, two, two young women, and uh, this is, this is the, the narrator. My name is Mary Catherine Blackwood. I am 18 years old, and I live with my sister Constance. I have often thought that with any luck at all, I could have been born a werewolf, because the two middle fingers on both my hands are the same length, but I have had to be content with what I had. I dislike washing myself, and dogs, and noise. I like my sister Constance, and Richard Plantagenet, and Aminata Phalloides. Yeah, I have to admit that I don't know how to say words too. <laughs> the Death Cup Mushroom. Everyone else in my family is dead. And that's, that's a pretty cool beginning. Mm-hmm. We have an episode coming out on great openings. This could easily have been uh, slipped right in there. In fact, it reminds me of one or two that I put. But... This is Mary Catherine Blackwood, and she's also known as Mary Cat, you know, kind of one word. Um, her, all the rest of her family, all of them, other siblings, parents, were murdered uh, a while back, poisoned at dinner. Now, only Constance and Mary Cat survived, one because she was sent to her room and trouble, and the other one because she didn't eat the poisoned sugar. So people in the town assume that one of them committed the murder. And so they've ostracized these two girls up into their home. And boy, is this a strange book, strange, strange book. Have, have you, you're nodding. So I'm wondering, have yeah. you read it? No, I have. It is. I love it. And it is a very strange book. I, I love it. It's quirky, which to me can be like, sometimes that word sends me running the other way, but in this particular case, it's yeah. quirky in a very good way. Yeah, I don't even know what time of year it takes place. I didn't look that closely at this one, but it just has that. I mean, they're two live girls, but it's almost like they live in a haunted house. It's almost like mm-hmm. they are the ones haunting a haunted house for the people in the in the community. It it is that it's a place where you don't go. Your kids will probably walk up there and and dare each other to go and touch the fence. But it's just two young women who live there. But there's something about how this story unfolds. It's very disturbing, very mm-hmm. creepy. Shirley Jackson is fantastic for any fall read that you might want to venture into. Yeah, she <laughs> but is. This is the one I wanted to, to to bring up. And it's got this kind of cool uh, here in, in the U.S., this Penguin Classics um, kind of deluxe edition with the deckled edges, even though it's a fairly short book. Mm-hmm. And that really creepy uh, black and white illustration on the front. So Yeah, that's the same copy I have. And, and I agree. I don't remember what time of year the book takes place in, but that cover alone screams kind of spooky <laughs> October fall. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, she's holding a black cat and mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. Yeah. It works. It works. It works. <laughs> in fact, I, I, I might have to reread it soon because it's been probably a good decade or so since I last did. But I yeah. also have other Shirley Jackson's on my shelf that I haven't read yet that like hangs a man that looks promising and yeah. the sundial. So I don't know. You know, you just get, you just get, buried and you do but, but here we go yeah what else do you have paul yeah so my second book is kind of what you were just talking about where do i read new things do i read old things you know that that whole balance that we all deal with all the time but 
I decided to go back to a favorite book by a favorite author, A Quartet in Autumn by Barbara Pym. So even though this is the second book in a row that has autumn in the title, this one is not nearly so on the nose <laughs> way, as the last one. Way time. to do this. I know. Uh, way, to, way to really take this assignment. <laughs> exactly. <and> uh, <laughs> very dutiful. I followed the breadcrumbs. No, this one I was, <laughs> I was, I mean, I did start kind of just Googling and thinking and going over my bookshelves. And so it caught my eye. And at first I was trying to decide because it is not strictly an autumnal book as far as like the season, hmm. despite the title, but it does focus on people kind of in the autumn of their lives. So in this case, it follows these four older British people, Edwin, Norman, Letty, and Marcia, and they all work together in the same office. So, you know, this is basically the only way that they really interact with each other is within the office. And you get the impression as you read along that actually it's probably their main source of human contact for them. So as always with Pim, it's sympathetic to some degree, but she also shows that they're very damaged and imperfect people. You know, she's not sugarcoating anything. Um, on the jacket copy, it says, out of the tragic material of old age, Pim has made an almost musically perfect tale. So, you know, I'm having trouble cutting down to just a few excerpts in this one. I'm going to, I had like four different passages marked, but I, I'm not going to do that because I know we want to cover a lot of ground. But what Pim does so well is she will just take you within a couple paragraphs. She'll inject you into this person's life. And so she just does a great job of taking you into the four different people's lives, sometimes through dialogue, sometimes through kind of an omniscient narrator, and just talking about the loneliness, the melancholy, the memories, the social life that they do have together. But the part that I wanted to read was the two women, Letty and Marcia, about halfway through the book, retire from the office. And so I really like this section. It says, the organization where Letty and Marcia worked regarded it as a duty to provide some kind of a retirement party for them when the time came for them to give up working. Their status as aging, unskilled women did not entitle them to an evening party, but it was felt that a lunchtime gathering, leading only to more than usual drowsiness in the afternoon, would be entirely appropriate. The other advantage of a lunchtime party was that only medium cypress sherry need to be provided, whereas the evening called for more exotic and expensive drinks, wines, and even the occasional carefully concealed bottle of whiskey or gin, the hard stuff, as Norman called it, in his bitterment at being denied access to it. Also at lunchtime, sandwiches could be eaten so that there was no need to have lunch. And it was felt by some that at a time like this, it was better to be eating. It gave one something to do. Retirement was a serious business to be regarded with respect, though the idea of it was incomprehensible to most of the staff. It was a condition that must be studied and prepared for, certainly. Research, they would have said. Indeed, it had already been the subject of a seminar, though the conclusions reached and the recommendations drawn up had no real bearing on the retirement of Letty and Marcia which seemed as inevitable as the falling of leaves in autumn, for which no kind of preparation needed to be made. If the two women feared that the coming of this date might give some clue to their ages, it was not an occasion for embarrassment, because nobody else had been in the least interested, both of them having long ago reached ages beyond any kind of speculation. So, you know, that's just a little snippet of A, her, her beautiful writing, and B, just it kind of shows how they're fading out and there's this life of the office that's going on and they're not worthy of a full dinner. So they'll do a lunch and, you know, people are kind of speculating, but they don't really care. And, and so, you know, it's just, that's a good snapshot of kind of what a lot of this book is about is, is these people's lives and, and they're forgotten to some degree and they'll drift into somebody's radar for a little while and drift back out. And so, you know, it's a really, it's, I don't know, you've read her book. She's so good at like, it has a sweetness to it. 
but not saccharine. And, and in some ways, yeah. these characters are pretty hard edged. I mean, there's like one of them is a little bit of a racist, another one, you know, like, so it's not like they're just sweet little grandmas and grandpas or anything like that. There's, they're real people with all the damage that comes along with it, but she treats them with respect and kind of shows, you know, what it's like to kind of grow older and, and move through these different stages of life. So, so far, I mean, I, she's one of my favorite authors and this is my favorite book of hers that I've read so far. Yeah. Again, I don't know if listeners will, I don't think the episode came out yet where I, you know, what are you reading Trevor? Well, I'm, I was reading excellent women by Barbara Pym, my first Barbara Pym and just loved it. Just loved it. But I'll be honest, Quartet and Autumn is the reason I wanted to read any Barbara Pym in the first place because it's such a great title. It <laughs> you know, is. I think we've talked about that. But yeah, I'm excited to get to that one. And there was an episode of Backlisted on Excellent Women where one of the guests uh, said it perfectly. She just provokes empathy in you. You know, mm-hmm. she just helps you connect with people who are imperfect, as you said, and provokes that sense of, of empathy. Yeah. So. No, it's it's a wonderful nice. book. I couldn't recommend it more highly. So, yeah. How about you? What's your second book? Well, you just made me like go. Oh, okay, I guess I'm not reading any Shirley Jackson. Next is Barbara Pym. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my next book that I'm going to bring up is Henry James, The Turn of the Screw, Ooh, 1898. This just classic ghost story came out. One of my favorite stories you know this just never fails to to kind of get me to to get a little bit of the chills and i love what he's examining here i i love that this is a great ghost story but also it's just such a great psychological um you know just deep dive into this very troubled governess who is hired to go and take care of a couple of children at the beautiful bly manor which is uh, haunted by some ghosts, she thinks. Ghosts of the past, ghosts of former people who worked there. In particular, uh, a man named Quint and a woman named Miss Jessel. And the reason that they are still there? Well, they must have done something terrible. You know, they, they must have been in love or all these things. And what did they do with the children? It's such a great book because it, it's so... It, the range is everything. The... It could be nothing, or it could be the most demonic presence ever, Mm -hmm. and you don't know, and the children could know about it, or they might just be absolutely innocent. And here's a quote that I'll read. I was was very glad because, you know, this actually takes place a little bit in the summertime. (laughs) I thought, man, are all my books going to be summertime (laughs) books? But it does turn fall, and here's where it goes. There was many a corner around which I expected to come upon Quint, and many a situation that, in a merely sinister way, would have favored the appearance of Miss Jessel. So it just kind of shows how she is really expecting to see these ghosts, these dead these dead people, mm-hmm. around any corner and thinking about them constantly. It says, the summer had gone, the autumn had dropped upon Bly and had blown out half our lights. The place with its gray sky and withered garlands, its barred spaces and scattered dead leaves was like a theater after the performance all strewn with crumpled playbills. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry James is a great, great writer, you know, I think. It's yeah, difficult I do too. as he can sometimes be. And it just, again, his writing plays into that really large range. But this is a creepy story. This is one where, as I read it, gave me the chills. And I don't know if that happens to me too often. Yeah, 
when I'm reading a book, I usually feel pretty safe. And, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes watch, I'm watching a scary movie, I might get the, get the chills because it feels so, you know, so immediate. Mm-hmm. It's kind of rare for me to get into that headspace when I'm reading a book. Unfortunately, I'd love it, but it doesn't happen too often. But this one gave me the chills. Yeah, no, that's a great one. There, have you seen, there's a couple of, of adaptations, um, The Innocence, that, that film. Have you seen Jack that? Jack Clayton's The Innocence uh. is, first off, when Criterion released it, uh, but, well, now it's been several years, uh, probably five or six years ago and i had already seen it with my wife i mm-hmm. kind of told her hey this is just you know like, come on it came out in the 1960s <laughs> it's black and white how scary can it be right not not mentioning that it happens to be and and mo- many of my all-time scariest movies happen to be black and white old movies there's just something about them and this one i think is is so spooky I, we watch it quite often yeah actually. and it's so well done too and then mm-hmm. taking quite a step down in quality but um, in another episode, I talked about The Haunting of Hill House, which mm-hmm. was based on the Shirley Jackson novel. But there was a season two of that series called The Haunting of Bly Manor. And oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, I would, I would put the caveat on there that I, I really liked season one of that series. And season two, was it's worth watching, but it's definitely a step down. But I just thought I'd throw that out there because it's definitely, you know, obviously loosely based on turn of the screw so not so loosely based it's pretty directly based but it's a modern (laughs) modern adaptation of it well that sound that sounds fun yeah Yeah, but yeah i was gonna bring up jack clayton's the innocence if you didn't yeah uh, because yeah absolutely um, creepy and wonderful and you know kind of horrifying and it does a lot of the same things the book does in terms of somehow pulling off it could be either the worst demonic ghost story ever or just some someone who's having a really bad time of life (laughs) yeah that's my favorite kind of horror stories is where it's not spelled out for you i mean Mm -hmm. that's what i love is is the uncertainty um so yeah absolutely that's a great one all right well what do you have for your your third autumn read my third one i'm going to kick off with a quote from the author before i reveal it so it says that old september feeling left over from school days of summer passing vacation nearly done, obligations gathering, books and football in the air, another fall, another turned page. There was something of jubilee in that annual autumnal beginning, as if last year's mistakes had been wiped clean by summer. So I know, isn't that good? So that's Wallace Stigner. That quote is actually from Mm -hmm. Angle of Repose. But I thought about using that one because I think of that one as an autumnal book. You're doing it to me again, Paul. I... Now I want to read that today. Oh, yeah. See? Come now, on. <laughs> well, wait till I get done talking about my actual book, which is Crossing to Safety. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, those two, Angle of Repose and Crossing to Safety, I had a tough time deciding between the two because they're both two of my very favorite books. I think they're both masterpieces, and I don't use that word lightly. This is one, just like Quartet and Autumn, I had to reread it partially to see if my autumnal memories were accurate. And I will say for the most part, they were. Um, Mm -hmm. It takes place in all different seasons, of course, because it's covering a a long period of time. But there are some very strong autumn passages. So, um, you know, I first read this seven or eight years ago, and it kept popping up in my mind when I was thinking of autumnal books. It's the story of two couples, Larry Morgan and his wife, Sally, and then their good friends, Charity and Sid Lang. And basically, it just traces the four friends throughout their lives, you know, often through flashbacks from the present day. That currently in the present day, they're older, but it'll flash back to how they met and different things like that. It's a really good book. It's 
so the main character is a, is a writer, so and he's a teacher. So there's lots of you know collegiate autumnal, you know, like um, on campus, and it takes place some of it up in in the Northeast in New England. So there's a lot of that going on. Um, Stegner's ability to create a strong sense of place is is definitely one of his strengths, and, it, and he does it here. Like I said, it takes place in different seasons, different states. Part of it even takes place in in Italy. But I was happy that my um, autumnal memories held true. So I'll just, I, I marked a couple of passages that are very specifically talking about fall that I thought captured the spirit really well. So this is a passage from the very beginning when they, they're the new kids on campus, basically. He's going to be teaching at this campus up in New England and they don't know anybody, but they've been invited to a staff party right at the beginning of the school year. So they don't want to be the first ones at the party because they're new. Um, so I drove around the block slowly. And when we got back, two cars were unloading. Their occupants gathered under the arc light, where bull bats were booming after insects, and a chilly, Octoberish smell of cured leaves rose from the ground, the indescribable smell of fall and football weather, and the new term that is the same almost anywhere in America. So that's just a little short snippet of kind of that, you know, the school year's starting, and there's the smell of leaves in the air. So then after the party, they've met, this is when they first meet that other couple that turned out to be some of their best friends throughout their lives, but... They decide after the party, everybody else leaves and they decide to just go walk around and get to know each other a little bit. So it says, I remember how quiet it was, how empty the streets at that hour, how our feet were loud on pavement and then hushed in grass and then crackly in leaves. There was a glint of settling frost in the air. Our voices and breaths went up and got mixed with the shadows of trees and the bloom of arc lights and the glitter of stars. It was like nothing I had known either in Albuquerque or Berkeley. It looked different sounded different, smelled different, felt different. And those two people were the newest and best part of it. It is there in my head now, as bright and dark as Hausman's vision of human hate, but with the opposite meaning. We talked and talked. We told each other what we liked and what we'd done and what we wanted to do. If we quit talking for a minute, in flowed that frosty, comforting Midwestern night. So I just, I love that. It it captures kind of that feeling of youth starting your career meeting new people but also you know has that autumn feel of just you know beginnings so you know a lot of the book is focusing on kind of the more melancholy ending feeling of autumn Mm -hmm. but i thought that was good because it also reminds you especially when it comes to school and things like that that there's also the other side of autumn where you know new semesters are beginning new jobs are starting all those types of things as well so um if i'm not gonna read too many here and and bore everybody. I just have one more that this one isn't about autumn, but it just talks a lot about what this book, and I think it applies to quartet and autumn as well. Just that idea of quiet lives. So in this passage, the main character, the author is considering whether he would ever write a book about his two friends. And so he says, how do you make a book that anyone will read out of lives as quiet as these? Where are the things that novelists seize upon and readers expect? Where's the high life, the conspicuous waste, the violence, the kinky sex, the death wish. Where are the suburban infidelities, the promiscuities, the convulsive divorces, the alcohol, the drugs, the lost weekends? Where are the hatreds, the political ambitions, the lust for power? The people we're talking about are hangovers from a quieter time. They've been able to buy quiet and distance themselves from industrial ugliness. They live behind university walls part of the year and in a green garden the rest of it. Their intelligence and their civilized tradition protect them from most of the temptations indiscretions, vulgarities, and passionate errors that pester and perturb most of us. They fascinate their children because they're so decent, 
so gracious, so compassionate and understanding and cultivated and well-meaning. And it says, why should I write about them? Because they are who they are. Why are they so helplessly who they are? Unanswered question, perhaps unanswerable. In nearly 40 years, neither has been able to change the other by so much as a punctuation mark. So I don't know. Again, just with him, I love how he captures people's lives. I think that was like a nice little concentrated snippet of it. And I think that really applies to not only this book, even though he was talking through the voice of the narrator, I think it could have been Stegner talking about why he writes the books that he does. But I think it also just captures kind of that quiet life that Stoner, Quartet and Autumn, Crossing to Safety, that does make me feel of, you know, that reminds me of Autumn books. Nice. Well, I have some good news on my end, you know, good for me. Yeah, yeah. So so Crossing to Safety is on my list of Betterment, the 50 ah. books that I, I put on there. And I put 25 by men and I put 25 by women on the book or on my list on purpose. And I also go back and forth because uh, I don't want to all of a sudden end up with, you know, the last 10 book by men. Right. Uh, uh, frankly, I want to read the women's ones first, but I'm trying to kind of uh, do that back and forth. And so where I did Anthony Trollope's The Warden, then I did Carol Shields' The Stone Diaries. I'm almost done with that. I'll probably finish it this weekend and I will put crossing to safety first. So you just made mentioned one that I can just jump right into. I have a goal I, every day. I have to read from my list of betterment. doesn't matter what else I'm reading. I have to read at least 20 minutes from my list of betterment. That's a nice round number. Mm-hmm. It's doable at any time of, um, you know, night <laughs> when I remember if mm-hmm. I haven't done it or in, during the day. And it usually becomes much more than that, but that one will be on there. So maybe I can read some Shirley Jackson or some, you know, uh, so some of these other uh, so other books mm-hmm. while uh, still doing Crossing to Safety. So I'll start that one next. I'm nice. excited. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. I, as I said, I, I could rave about it forever, but the relationships in that book are so detailed and realistic. There's all the tensions and just he's so good at like, it's, it's these older people looking back on their lives and just his ability to jump back and forth from beginning to now where there's been damage done and there's illnesses and different things going on. I I think it's stunning. So I really hope you like Mm. it. Well, I'm sure I will. It's, it's one that I've known for a while that I've wanted to read. I've never read Wallace Stegner. I live in the state where the big rock candy mountain resides Mm. and I've been there and I've still never read his, you know, the big rock candy mountain. I've never read crossing to safety. I've never read the angle of repose or, you know, any of the multiple others that I often hear mm-hmm. people say, Oh, that's one of my favorite books. Yeah. Well, I'll be <laughs> so, curious to hear what you think. I, I think you'll like it. I will. I will let you know. All right. The next, well, the last one that I have, I, I, I'm still going to go with the kind of the spooky, scary thing, but this is a book that I, I was a little bit surprised. I did go back and not necessarily reread, I re-listened to this book. I read it first back in October of 2016 on a weekend when I was not happy because something had happened at work. I was, you know, just Mm -hmm. one of those weekends where everything was going to be, you know, kind of downcast. And I picked up this book and I inhaled it over the weekend. I, I couldn't put it down and it it almost matched my anxiety <laughs> that I was feeling in a way it was fun. It helped so much. And then I re-listened to it because Dan Stevens has done an audiobook of it uh, very, pretty recently that is actually fantastic. And it is Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. Mm. Have you read this one, Paul? I have not. I have not read any Agatha Christie. All right. Well, 
I, I'm hot and cold on her. Some of her books I just adore. They're fun. You know, they're fun. Others of hers I read, like, I read Death in the Nile, and I was really just like, oh, this is hard to get through, actually, even though it's short and fun and apparently one of her, you know, best. Uh, but I've read, like, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd and really loved it. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express is fun. But I think And Then There Were None is an absolute masterpiece. Five-star book for me. Just fantastic. I, I won't go into too much because I, if you haven't read it, I think you should. I think that you should dig into it. It's very short. The The premise is that there are 10 people invited to, to an island called Soldier Island in today's iteration of the book because mm-hmm. it, it's had a few problematic titles in the past. But Soldier Island, and on that island is a very nice modern house, and they're invited to stay for various reasons. When they get there, they are shocked to find a nursery rhyme, you know, kind of in all of their rooms that drops off to, and then there were none. And even more shocked when they start getting picked off one by one, kind of in accordance to the nursery rhyme. It's really fun, really creepy, really, uh, you know, who's doing it? Is it one of these 10? Is it someone else on the island? What is going on? Because the island seems deserted otherwise. So that always keeps you kind of guessing on that. But the personalities are fun, even though there are 10 people. And at the beginning of an Agatha Christie book, I'm always reading it and she's introducing all of her characters one by one. And I think, I don't know, how, how am I going to keep track of them? And then by page 28, I know them all intimately and have no troubles, you know, keeping track of them. She's very good at her characters uh, and drawing them out. But I will say that the mystery is in, enthralling as well as uh, when you figure out what's going on, which for me was on the very at last page <laughs> of this one. It makes it, it makes it's an interesting premise. It's not just someone wanting to pick off a bunch of people. Yeah, uh, there's a really cool reason for it all, and so it's fun. There's a, there was a pretty cool adaptation that came out from the BBC a few years ago that I I really liked, and I can think they botched that part of it. Mm. I loved the adaptation otherwise, but I think they botched the reason for the killings um, just slightly. So I would re- definitely recommend the book. Short, fast. It takes place in August, though, which mm-hmm. is when I re-listened to it. You know, that that's when it takes place. But it gets stormy on the island, Paul. It'll still feel like an autumn read. Yeah. It definitely does for me. It, it's it's a classic for a reason. It's it is one of the best-selling books of all time, like with the Bible, mm-hmm. not like it's crazy with anything like Stephen King. You know, it's like the Bible. Uh, um, popularity in, in sales. Wow. And I think that's for a good reason. It, it has a broad um, a, a appeal, but I loved it. I loved this book. It's one of my favorite books. Wow. I need to try it. Um, my parents will be mad if, if you're the one that convinces me because they have <laughs> the entire Agatha Christie, like one of their entire bookshelves is basically devoted to like these kind of like faux leather Agatha Christie. They have every single one she's ever done. Mm-hmm. They got it from like a mail order club or something. And between the two of them, I feel like maybe literally one of them is always reading one of her books. I think they, between the two of them, (laughs) cycled through and they just read them, all of them, over and over again. Like, I think they just never stop reading them between the two of them. So, yeah, if you're the one that convinces me to finally go for it, 
they might disown me. But uh, yeah, I think you've done a good job of convincing. Well, don't me. don't tell them it was me. You know, to <laughs> let them let them take the credit. There you go. They've they've built the foundation, and I just uh, you know put up the flag. Or there you go. Like that. So exactly. I think you'll get through it pretty fast if you can if you can fit it in sometime. I'd be curious to to hear your thoughts. If not, you know, you do it when do whatever you can, but I'll recommend it to you and I'll recommend it to our listeners who haven't. And if you have, and it was years ago, give it another shot. I I remembered it well enough that it wasn't in my reread. I was not surprised by anything, you know, it just, it had that kind of impression. So I, it wasn't a reread where I'm like, Oh, I forgot who did this. And it's so fun, but it still holds up. It was still fun to, to read and get back into that world. So uh, I, I'll recommend um, rereads too to people who have done it. Yeah. All right. Well, Paul, we're we're almost to the end. We should probably do these next ones a little bit fast. Mm-hmm. But we both have picked a few books that we might recommend to ourselves to read over the fall that we're excited for. And I don't know how you want to do that. Should we just? I think we both picked three. Why don't you just tell me what your three books are? Yeah. And actually, I think I might. No, I do have three. Um, so the three that I have, actually, we spoiled one of them earlier because Collingborn convinced me mm. to serve them all my days. That one, like I said, yeah. I have no excuse not to read it. It's been on my radar for <laughs> years and years. So I think, yeah, I need to move that up the pile. So that's one of them. The second one that came to mind for me was The Secret History by Donna Tart. Um you know, it's again, has that academic thing. It has a mystery thing going on. I believe it's in... New England, but I could be wrong on that. But I read. I think it's supposed to take place at a place like Bennington, Vermont. Yeah, so exactly. So it has a lot of the the criteria that kind of tick some of those boxes. And I read The Goldfinch maybe whenever it came out, whenever that was, and and really liked it. So I've been meaning to pick up another one of hers. Um, and then another one that you mentioned earlier um, was Hangs a Man by Shirley Jackson. Mm. That's definitely one that um, I've read a few of her books now and hearing about that one, a liberal arts college, got very Gothic, um, you know, so those are all ones on my radar. You know, I also thought of a couple others that are just no brainers. Canal Scarred and Allie Smith both have their kind of yeah. se- seasonal series coming out. So um, they, you know, those two autumn books might be something that I would like to try as well. So how about you? Yeah, you oh, sorry, you did give me an, you did give me an idea for maybe we are planning to do some bonus episodes Maybe mm-hmm. something on Hangs a Man would be fun. That would be fun. October. We'll 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 chat offline and see if that might work out. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I, I picked the The Witch of Blackbird Pond by Elizabeth George Spear. This is a Newbery winner that I've heard about since I was born. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, and I've never read it. My wife really loves it. She's told me a lot about it uh, as far as what it means to her, and. It takes place in New England in the 17th century. And, you know, I don't think it's about a literal witch. I think it's about, you know, a young woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that one I'm excited to read uh, finally. So I, I actually checked it out of the library yesterday uh, as, a, as a promise to myself that I would be doing it. Uh, the other one, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. You've convinced me that nice. it's time. Yeah. And... In fact, it'll be, I think it's the next episode, listeners, is the one where we talk about some of these books that we're bringing up right now, <laughs> Rebecca being one of them. Uh, but yes, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. And then the other one that I picked out is 
The Secret History by Donna Tartt. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, great well, minds. It came, up, it came up on all of these lists when I was just kind of doing research for this mm-hmm. to see, oh, what, what might spark a memory for me? And The Secret History is on 98% of the Autumn Reads lists that I that I saw. I know. And so, it, and it looks fun and it just kind of perfect for a good mystery or something like that. Yeah. So no, that's might be funny. Doing, uh, I, I will be reading that one. I went and got a copy. I'll be reading that one. Uh, maybe we'll read that one at about the same time too. Mm-hmm. So no, she's a great writer. All right. Well, we also just kind of thought of a few poems and short stories uh, mm-hmm. that that evoke the fall. And I'll I'll go ahead and go first a little bit here. Um, one of my favorite uh, fall poems is Robert Frost. Do you know what one I'm what one I'm thinking of by any chance? I think I have a guess, but I'm afraid. Yeah, tell me what. Let's it is. see. Let's see if it is. Let's see if it is because you might have another one that that would come up uh, after Apple Picking oh, by Robert Frost. You know what? Actually, that wasn't. I no. I don't know if I'm familiar with that one. It's just a lovely poem. It starts, My long two-pointed ladders sticking through a tree toward heaven still, and there's a barrel that I didn't fill beside it, and there may be two or three apples I didn't pick upon some bough. And it goes through this coming winter, you know, he, he, and it's that got that Robert Frost imagery, picks mm-hmm. up a piece of glass from a from a trough or from a barrel, you know, that's the ice that's formed on top of the, the thing. And he, he talks about going out and... Um, and picking apples and and coming to a time when sleep might be coming. Of course, mm-hmm. for him, that's not just a you know a good night's sleep. There's a lot more going on than than that. But I do love the the smell of apples and the, the mm-hmm. fall. You know, getting apple cider and picking apples for ap- an apple pie or something like that. And you know, some of the things that he talks about are, are very nice. He says there there were ten thousand thousand fruit to touch cherish in hand, lift down and not let fall. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, be after apple picking by Robert Frost is a poem that I, that I think of quite often in the fall, just because when I'm out picking fruit for canning or just for enjoying, cause it's that time of year, I'm always thinking of me lifting down, you know, an apple and soon to see some, some puddles that are not, that that nice little ice sheet above them, yeah, and that kind of fun of that promise of a of a good of a good winter and and the comfort that you're getting your stock in or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds really good. I, I need to read. I need to revisit him because he's somebody that I read a lot, like most people back in the school days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes you kind of think, oh, you know, I know, I know Robert Frost. But then you go back and read some of his poems, and you realize there's a reason just like a lot of these classics that he sticks around. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you've ever gotten into the dispute over the road, not taken. I you have. Know? My son was just reading that in school and I tried not to go into all of that. I know it's so hard because it's like, yeah, that is a beautiful sentiment. It doesn't seem that that's what he means. No, at all. Exactly. <laughs> yep. All I, right. We'll leave that one there. I, cause I'm with you. I don't want to ruin it for anybody who's yeah. like, yeah, I'll go take the road, not taken, and right. make all the difference. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll take our our more pessimistic, grumpy uh, versions and stick to stick them away. Yeah, you can get all the rest of what we're what we really feel about that poem from every other book we talked about today. The yeah. autumn reads and the yep. looking back on life with the, you know, even though I feel like both of us are very positive people, I think we're sympathetic to hopes and dreams that haven't gone the way that they were supposed to, even though, you know, I, I love my life. I love where oh, I, yeah. I love my, you know, but, but there's, 
there's something there's something dramatic about that. So it often comes out in my best books. And no, me too. So. It's funny you should mention that because I'm going to uh, suggest a poem here that ties very nicely into that. So I've told you that I don't necessarily feel like poetry is an area where I have a huge um, knowledge base. And so I think I've already mentioned Ted Kuzer several times, and that's just because so far he's one of those poets that I return to very often. Um, and so he wrote a poem called A Person of Limited Palette that I think sums up what you just said and kind of gives that, ties into that aging and, and looking back on your life. So it says, I would love to have lived out my years in a cottage a few blocks from the sea and to have spent my mornings painting out in the cold, wet rocks to be known as a local artist, a pleasant old man who paints passably well in a traditional manner, a person of limited palette, earth tones and predictable blues, cloth cap and cardigan, baggy old trousers and comfortable shoes. But none of this shall come to pass. For every day, the possibilities grow fewer, like swallows in autumn. So I I love that. I mean, it's not, it, it is melancholy, but it also, I don't know, it's just, you know, this is a life, This is it's like my dream of living in the back of a, bus, a dusty old bookstore. It's like, you're not necessarily like sad that you didn't get to do it, but it's just some of these things that, that, mm-hmm. that could have been, you know? <laughs> so I really like that though. Like the possibilities grow fewer, like swallows in autumn. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good one. Yeah. Um, short story wise, uh, again, I went the more spooky weird route. Mm-hmm. I, I, it, I, I, I wish I could have been more broad minded here, Paul, but it is what it is. No. Um, and the, the ones that I, that I wanted to kind of highlight is stories. I mean, we, we could, I, I thought, okay, there's sleepy hollow, which is a more of a novella. I adore reading that story. I love the Disney cartoon. We watch it every Halloween. Mm-hmm. I read the story quite often. Um, stories by Robert Eichmann, uh, stories by Edgar Allan Poe, stories by HP Lovecraft, which I like to read out by the campfire to my boys. Um, I read the tomb mm. earlier in the spring out there and it was so fun, but I thought, okay, let's, let's go with maybe a few of these that are in the same vein, but I don't think are really that read much, you know, mm. and the, the one that came up is Stephen Milhauser. Uh, he is, well, and he doesn't write too much anymore. He's an octogenarian, might be an onogenarian now. I don't remember, but he's fairly old. I don't know if we'll ever get anything else really from him, but he has been our, romantic you know our gothic romantic uh horror story or creepy story mm. writer for a very long time he won the pulitzer it's it's carnival-esque you know i think he's the disciple of edgar Allan poe even though they're quite different and i think this might even be his most recent collection but it's fairly old now it's uh voices in the night mm. that came out a few years ago i also really liked we others but Voices in the Night has a really interesting uh, story called Phantoms. And it's like a case study. I mean, it really is about a, a little town that is infested by phantoms, but they're a little bit different. And so it has the phenomenon. It has explanation number one, the history of the phenomenon, Case study number two, uh, you know, how we know, highly questionable. It kind of goes through it almost as evidence-based. But I just love his work. I love his Mm -hmm. stories. They're they're just weird oftentimes. But but yeah, I'll recommend Phantoms by by Stephen Milhauser as one. And then the last thing that I'll recommend today is just 
kind of a classic when you want to sit down and have a yarn. Mm. Uh, Ray Bradbury's The October Country. I love this cover that I'm showing you. It's the old 1996 Del Rey cover. Just Gorgeous. kind of they got that creepy mm-hmm. house with the reds and sketchy look and the almost witch and little dragon walking past. But this is a collection of, I think, like 20 short stories. A lot of them have... I don't know if autumnal is the right word, but spooky certainly is. There's uh, there's the scythe where a guy it, it inherits a farm, kind of a guy on out on out on uh, out of luck, but he inherits a farm. Oh, that's great! But you know, it's a scythe. He's got some other things to do there too. Mm. <laughs> there's the wonderful death of Dudley Stone, kind of a, a, a murder case thing. I mean, it's just it's these are fun. Ray Bradbury, I think, gets a bad rap because he was so prolific and, you know, it, it almost seems like, oh, there's there's a childish one. But every time I stop and read one, I go, wow, there's it's outmoded, some of it. Mm-hmm. You know, his views on gender and things like that can really kind of make me go, when I'm reading them to my kids, like, Rah. right, we'll have to talk about that afterwards so that this, you know. But, boy, the, just the yarns he could spin. Mm-hmm. Really loved him. Yeah. So. Now that is that specific book is one that I hear come up pretty often and it has come up for years as a good book to read this time of year and I have mm-hmm. never yet read it so yeah I need to do that. Well how about you did you have any I, any last recommendations or I do. Or yeah, both of mine are, you know, I don't know if they're quite as strong as yours. I they're both very much just set in the fall um, mm-hmm. and specifically Halloween came up strangely in both of them, even though neither one of them is a spooky story. So the first one that came to mind for me was um, from Lauren Groff, speaking of her collection, Mm. Florida. And it was a story called flower hunters. Um, And so basically it is the story of just this, this woman sitting out on her front porch on Halloween night. She's not really into it. Her husband and their kids have gone out trick-or-treating her to a Halloween party, I think it is. And she's sitting there reading a book by a naturalist named William Bartram. Um, And so basically throughout the story, it kind of jumps back and forth between her reading this book and her thoughts. She kind of has like a, she describes it as a crush on him (laughs) while she's reading. But then it'll also jump to like her thinking about the trick-or-treaters that are coming up. And she's feeling kind of inadequate as a mother because she's, you know, kind of I think half-assed it a little bit for Halloween and, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing. So, you know, she's reflecting on her life and there's trick-or-treaters coming up. And then at the end she goes and joins her family and some things happen. But um, so that's one that came to mind, I think mostly just because it was set on Halloween and talking about her fixing her kids' costumes and, and reading on the porch while trick-or-treaters are coming around. And then another one from our old friend, Jhumpa Lahiri, um, from Interpreter of Maladies, which we've talked about before. But there's a story called When Mr. Perzada Came to Dine. So the opening line, it says, In the autumn of 1971, a man used to come to our house bearing confections in his pocket in hopes of ascertaining the life or death of his family. His name was Mr. Perzada. Perzada, I think it is, actually. Um, so it's told from the perspective of a young girl whose parents are from India, um, she has a vague idea of what's going on. It, it does a good job of capturing like when you're a kid and your parents' friends come over and you know some bigger things are going on and you're kind of interested, but you're just doing your own thing. Um, so this this man comes over to their house from time to time to watch the news and basically try to track what's happening to his family who live back in Bangladesh. Um, but it, it does take place in the fall and there's a really strong passage about Halloween, a lot of autumnal feelings around it. So, you know, neither one of mine are 
like I said, maybe not as strong as yours, but they both, when I was trying to think of stories that reminded me of fall, they both immediately spring into my mind. So they're oh, both, they're great. both good. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Lauren Groff, her short stories, I think are pretty awesome. Yeah. Very excited. Very excited for matrix. I am uh, too. Maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll, you know, that'll come up in a future episode is what are you reading this mm-hmm. week? <laughs> I bet it will. So, but all right. Well, Paul, thanks so much. Happy, happy fall. Happy fall reading. It'll be nice to, to touch base with you over the season and see what, what's going on. Uh, listeners, we've got a lot of episodes already in the can. We're thinking actually we might release a few, you know, a little more regularly for a while so that we can catch up in time with what we've, what we have uh, released in the past. Cause otherwise when I'm editing them and we're talking about, Oh, the kids just got out of school and it's Christmas. It's <laughs> like, Oh, that's just really off. Right. But we'll, we'll, we'll do it. Yep. But Paul, uh, thanks so much. Always, always so fun. This was particularly fun to just get excited for a new season of reading. I have a lot of, uh, it's, it's Labor Day weekend. So hopefully we'll be able to do a little bit of reading, uh, extra reading. Absolutely. I plan to do that. I'm going to go do that right now. So yeah, great talking to you, Trevor. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can find Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month, helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash mooks. Until next time.